0: Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we are here to deliver part two. I've been um, held. I've been comforted. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got you off. <laughs> I consoled you yes. after I had to stop the story mm-hmm. right there. But here we are. It's a beautiful Sunday morning for you guys. Yes. It's not for us. And when we're going to finish the case of the rampage of Charles Starkweather and his 13th victim... Caroline Ann Fugate. If you have not listened to Thursday's episode, go back and listen to that yeah, first. have to. That's important because a lot of what I say right now is not going to make sense to you if you don't. Yep, so hit pause. But where, where I have left you, just to remind all of our audience, where I've left you is that Charles and Carol Ann are, Carol is being held hostage by Charles. They're on the run in Lincoln, in Nebraska. They're from Lincoln, Nebraska. And the police have just discovered the bodies of Velda Bartlett, Marion Bartlett, and Betty Jean Bartlett, who was only three years old. That is Carol Ann Fugate's family. Her mother remarried, so that's her family. Carol Ann did not know that her family had been murdered by Charles Starkweather, and at this point in time, in the case, she still does not know.
1: I am still not over it.
0: No. That... It's it's wild. And he hurts animals. So. Yes. He's already killed a dog. He will kill more. And so we are going to just pick up with them in the vehicle together. It's getting dark. It is January 27th. The bodies had, had just been discovered. And they had also already killed August Mayer. Not they.
1: He Take did. that back. Yep, he did. He
0: had already killed August Mayer, um, who they were after. Well, he was after 500 of his dollars. Carol Ann believes that they are, that she's being held hostage to save her family. She keeps being told, just do as I say and your family will live. And we're going to rob this bank with my gang, the leather jacket gang. Uh And then we're going to ride off into the sunset and have a, a happy life. And she is looking for a way to get out. She's got a note in her pocket that she's just waiting to be able to give to somebody asking the police for help.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it makes sense now because when you were telling me about the, well, the gang's got the family. Mm-hmm. It's like, my God, how devoted is this gang to him that they're just holding this family hostage for a week? Oh, well, mm-hmm. there was no gang. Nope. There they was were, no gang. They were already dead. They were already dead. So, Cause yeah. I was thinking that in my head. I'm nope. like the gang, this gang of like, you know, the High gang was the gang kids. was
0: real. Yes, the grease gang was real. <laughs> it was real. But but they did not have he had no power over them. Yeah, he was not the leader. He is very very grandiose in the power that he wants to believe he has. For sure.
1: So yeah, that all makes sense now because I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are like nineteen twenty, and they're like, and yeah, they're we'll hold this family hostage an, for two a week. adults and a baby <laughs> yeah. hostage.
0: No, no, he had killed them. Yep.
1: <sighs> okay. So now yep. it's
0: getting dark and they need a place to, sit, to stay. So Starkweather drives back to August Mayer's property. But as they pull in, Carol Ann freaks out. She's like, no, his ghost is there. It's going to haunt us. We have to get out of here. I'm with Carol Ann. Me too. So he goes to leave and his dumbass gets stuck again. Because apparently he didn't learn from getting stuck in the driveway the first time he just is a so few hours before. Right, right. I'm so, so over him. He screams at her to get out of the car. He has her carry her father's sawed-off four ten shotgun that was at this point in time jammed. He jammed it, firing at August Mayer's dog. And he carries the other rifle and holds her arm as he drug her about a mile in the freezing cold. A car approaches them that was occupied by 17-year-old Robert Jensen and his girlfriend, 16-year-old Carol King, both of Bennett, Nebraska. They offered them a ride, and the gun. it should be noted that guns are normal for Nebraska. So So they didn't think anything of the guns. They didn't, because they're just like, well, we broke down, so we took the stuff out of our vehicle. So they get in, and Starkweather laid the gun that he had over Carol Ann's lap and points the barrel at her stomach. It is an unspoken threat.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Yep. As they arrive in the town of Bennett, Starkweather pulls the barrel of the gun to the back of Jensen's head and tells him to keep driving and do what I say or I'll blow your brains out. He instructed them, instructed him to take them to where the old schoolhouse was located, which Jensen knew the location, tells them that he's going to leave them in the cellar of the schoolhouse and that the, the two were going to take his car. Do as I say, no one will get hurt. So Jensen is like, okay. He orders Carol Ann to take the money out of Robert Jensen's billfold. She didn't move. So Jensen tells Carol Ann, just do it so no one gets hurt. So she does. She takes the money out, puts it in Starkweather's wallet. They pull into the old schoolhouse and he orders them out of the car. Carol King and Robert Jensen out of the car. He told Carol Ann to get in the front seat. So she crawled over from the back. She never got out of the vehicle. She crawls over from the back, and he was taking the couple to the schoolhouse. She was, um, she could no longer, since since she stayed in the vehicle, she could no longer see the three of them. He is walking them down to the cellar of the schoolhouse. Then uh. she hears gunshots. Carol Ann was sobbing in the car when Charles got back, and he claimed that the boy gave him trouble, so he had to shoot them. And she's pleading with him. Why did you kill them? Why did you kill them? He's like, Well, I had to because he was, he was causing me trouble, and he's seen me. So I have to
1: keep also remembering she's fourteen. She's
0: fourteen, and um, as a recap, if you don't remember, he is nineteen.
1: Yeah. Okay. This is horrible.
0: So then he tells her, "I'm going to take you home now because you have seen and heard enough." And he says, "Then he repeats like to himself." Oh, yes. now
1: he has some decency. Yep. Yeah. And, and, but it, and
0: weirdly he repeats, "Yes." I will take you home. Like he's losing it. Oh, like I mean, yeah. he's he has
1: done lost. No, his he, shit. <laughs> he has. I
0: mean, the chickens have flown the coop. They yeah. have. But yeah, but he's now like, I, I'm gonna take you home because you've, you've seen it enough. enough. But then he's like, Yes,
1: I will take you home. Such <gasps> some kind of psych. Yeah. So yep. so in some kind of psychosis.
0: No such luck. Instead, they went to a large white home and waited for the man of the house to leave for work. Starkweather gained entry and motioned for Carol Ann to follow, which she did. He told her to drink some coffee and lay down on the couch. Carol Ann fell into an exhaustive sleep at this point in time. Oh my gosh, I bet. Uh, she hadn't been sleeping for days, you know, I mean, this yeah. was, she's been held hostage for over a week now. She woke up to him eating pancakes that were made by the lady of the house and asked if she wanted some. She's like, No. She, she's she, like i'm, I'm good this is w- so weird <laughs> pancakes sir and she actually ends up falling back to sleep she was then woke up a little while later by stock stark weather holding a bloody knife and he told her that he stabbed the lady of the house and that she was dead upstairs
1: after she made pancakes after
0: she made his ass pancakes he
1: heartless mm-hmm.
0: this dude is a monster
1: he, he really is, is a limp dick
0: motherfucker. Oh, he is. For those of you who don't know or remember from part one, he's impotent.
1: He is We like impotent. to
0: make sure the world knows that.
1: I don't even feel bad because he harms animals and he's just randomly killing well, like, oh, good people. Like, the animals are <laughs> you, first. You did mention the animals first. I don't even mind making fun
0: of his impotency because he harms animals. <laughs> also people. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and people too. Sometimes people can be assholes, but animals don't deserve anything like this. So he tells Carol Ann, go sprinkle perfume upstairs because it reeks of blood. So she does, because what else is she going to do? Tell this man no and end up dead? Right. There's a maid of the house, too, that was also being held hostage, just like the lady of the house by Starkweather. Now, he made Carol Ann Hold the gun. Uh, hold a gun to the maid. All right. While he went outside to turn the vehicle around to make it easier to escape.
1: Okay. All right. So he's prepping the getaway. Yep. If I was Carol Ann, I would have been having some ideas at that moment. I'm just saying. Well,
0: he was like, I'm. You know, once again, her family's life in her mind. Her family the gang is still alive.
1: Yep. You're right.
0: So right. you mess up. Your family's dead. So she's just doing what he's saying. The man of the house comes home, Starkweather kills him. Now it turns out that the maid was deaf. So they could not understand her, but he took her upstairs and was trying to, and was tying her up. And she was asking for the light to be on because it was dark at this point in time in the room. And Starkweather made Carol Ann hold a flashlight while he was tying her up. Then he suddenly starts stabbing her.
1: Oh my gosh! Now
0: later, it's tried to be used against her. Like you held a flashlight for him while he was stabbing her. No, she's doing what she was told to do. And suddenly he starts stabbing her, and and he did not stop stabbing her until she stopped moaning. And then made a comment of, "I didn't think she would ever die," like just so nonchalant about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, and Carol Ann recalled later like she did not recognize the person that was doing the stabbing. That was not, not the him. Charlie mm-hmm. that she knew. Of course, he made her change her coat, which she's like, "Shit, that note!
1: Oh, How, yeah. What? What yeah.
0: am I going to do?" He actually made her get into like a lighter suede type or corduroy type thing rather than the coat she winter coat she had on. She was able to transfer the note over she slyly snuck it into her hand got it transferred over but now she's in like a lighter jacket a light corduroy yes. that sounds very
1: unfortunate right i know
0: by now the news is spreading out is by now the news is spreading of the murder spree and their names are blasted everywhere to be on the lookout for them every single one of the articles are painting a picture of a couple that's on a murder spree and not i'm not sure he's once. loving this he is absolutely and not once does any article mention that Carol Ann's own life might be in danger too.
1: She's a part of it. She
0: is 100% a part of it. Never is it considered in the media at this time that she's a victim.
1: The media also does not know, correct me if I'm wrong, that the family was killed prior to him taking her hostage. Exactly. Nope. So all the media knows is the, the family's this dead. This family and gone. is dead and she ran with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm.
0: But no one. But we couldn't think, like, perhaps she's being held hostage? No. No one considered that. That, that, It was just immediately the first bodies that were found were that of her family, and now she's gone, so she must be a part of it. Then, as August Mayer's body is found, his cause of death was determined to be a gunshot wound to the head, of course. Then Robert Jensen's body was found. Multiple gunshot wounds to the head. The autopsy report of Carol King, which was never shared with the with the public at the time, revealed that she had a single gunshot wound to the head and an unnatural sex act as it was discovered that sticks and other debris were found in her vagina. Oh. So he sexually assaulted her, not with himself, but with other objects. On January 29th, the bodies of Lauer Ward and his wife Clara Ward and their maid, Lillian Fensel, were found. So that's the big white house that they pulled up to. yeah. People were arming themselves. The police department was on edge, and the two papers in town were working around the clock putting out stories and follow-up stories of the Bonnie and Clyde-esque rampage.
1: And can you imagine not knowing, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's these people going on a killing spree. And and people, it
0: was so terrifying for that town that men were arming themselves and uh, paroling the streets.
1: I would I I bet.
0: This is part of the reason why things escalate to the point that they do for Carolan that we're going to get to here pretty soon is because that town wanted blood. They were terrified. They wanted this to come to an end and they wanted to see people held responsible sure. for it for their because of the terror that they lived in. Children weren't allowed to go to school, to go into the streets. I mean, the town was on lockdown while this murder spree is going on.
1: And I can't imagine how absolutely terrifying that would be to live in that town, mm-hmm. right. to live around that area during yep. the time, and you're seeing these people just coming up murdered. Yep. I, w- I would be feel the same. Right. You know? I
0: would be very terrified, too. But then also, after they hear Carol Ann's side of the story, I, I have a hard time with the people that didn't empathize with the fact that she was probably just as terrified too oh my gosh yeah they started dubbing him the mad dog killer so that's that's his nickname mm -hmm, that was in the papers which he was loving as well also on wednesday january 29th starkweather decides that he's going to take ward's car and go to washington state where his brother leonard lived They drove through the night and stopped a couple of times for gas. Starkweather at this point had gone mad. He was talking to himself or someone. Carol Ann wasn't sure at this point. She just continued to do as she was told so that she did not end up like the others. And she still thinks her family's alive. That's the part that makes me the most
1: sad is that she's, she's doing this to hold on for her family. Right. They
0: were driving through Wyoming on Highway 20 when Starkweather spots a white Buick parked along the highway. Carol Ann stayed in the car as Starkweather approached the passenger side of the car. He opened it and said something to the man in the driver's seat before raising his gun and shooting the car owner.
1: So at this point, he's not even trying to be careful. Nope. Now we're just broad daylight. Yeah. Yep. He how told. Oft- oh, sorry. I was just going to say how often we see that happen where the they escalation just get sloppy. Yeah, absolutely. And it they don't just care anymore. It just consumes them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: They're drunk on the power. Nothing can stop yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. He told Carol Ann to get in the backseat of the Buick, and she did. He couldn't get the car started and still had a dead man in the car with them and started yelling, man, man, are you dead? Oh, my God. The man who he had just shot in the head. He's asking him how
1: to start the car
0: and he's asking like, him if
1: he's dead. He's, like, gone uh-huh. mentally. Completely yes. Completely gone. He
0: is sitting where this man's blood is splattered everywhere and is not comprehending. Like, he's talking to him.
1: I can't believe he even didn't kill her
0: well at this point it's funny that you say that because I was just gonna bring up I think the only thing that saved Carol Ann is the fact that she is literally the only person he ever loved she was the only because because she because she loved him to her his parents loved him he did not have an abusive childhood but it's not the same as as someone you know like a lot of kids you know my parents have to love me because I'm their kid Mm -hmm. but for you know her; she didn't have to love him, but she just did, and she she enjoyed his attention. Being an older boy, yeah, yeah. and so he felt genuinely loved by her at the you know before all this. So I think that's legitimately Carol's the only reason. Like Carol's kindness towards him is the only thing that saved her. I mean, she did break up with him, which started this downward mm-hmm. spiral and made him kill her family and take her hostage He so could not it could have it. happened like he could have at any moment if she hadn't have played her part right oh yeah i i she would have been dead too
1: hearing how much he's just like losing it and he's yep completely mentally all she not had to there. do was
0: call him crazy again and i bet he would have shot her
1: yeah like yeah. one wrong move so i'm amazed she survived this me
0: right me too all right now suddenly there's another man approaching Like, he can see there's two cars stopped on the highway. You know, it's 1958. Somebody needs help. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to help them. The man's approaching the vehicle on foot. Now, Carol was mentally warning him to stay away. Like, she's she's still in the the like Yes, and she's like, no, don't. Go. (laughs) Now, Starkweather pointed the 22 at him and said, help me release this emergency brake or I will kill you. The man was big. Keeping his cool, he reached down to release the emergency brake lever. Because this is what's funny, the funniest part of all this. The limp dick dumbass just couldn't start the car. He couldn't figure out how to release an emergency brake. Uh,
1: that's why the
0: car wouldn't go.
1: That's the problem.
0: And the dead man next to him is not telling him how to pull the push the button that's at the end of the lever. It's being very difficult. He is. So as he's bending down to grab that lever, he grabs the barrel of the gun. So now the two are in a tussle on the side of the road. This was Carol's chance. She decides it doesn't matter if she's going to get shot in the back or not. This is her chance to get away or die trying. Now, by this time, a milk truck driver and another car with a couple had pulled up with all the commotion. And as it happens, a Wyoming sheriff's deputy was following the milk truck when it suddenly came to a stop on the highway in front of him. He watches as two men are wrestling on the ground, and he gets out of his parole car, patrol car, and a young girl is racing towards him. Now, this was Deputy Romer. He later tells the press, and he's quoted telling the press, quote, I stopped my car, and a girl came running over. She was saying, he's going to kill me. He's crazy. He just killed a man that was quoted in the paper cuz he talked to the press uh-huh carol had bolted from the car and ran toward the officer in a zigzag fashion in case any bullets went flying she was serpentining
1: wow so she was trying to like i yes. don't know if it's ca- if, if he's, he's going to shoot, shoot
0: me yep it, i'm going to try to make oh, it more difficult yeah. smart yeah. like that's smart she screamed as she ran he's going to kill my mother and father and sister he killed an old farmer Two teenagers and people living in a big white house in Lincoln, and he's going to kill me too. He's crazy. He's crazy. The deputy watched as by this point the big man had seized the gun away from Starkweather, and Starkweather jumped in his car and sped off, heading towards Douglas, Wyoming. So he leaves Carol Ann behind. Romer told Carol Ann as she slid into the backseat of, like, he helped her into the backseat of her cruiser and was like, stop crying.
1: You're safe. I just, I, I just feel this relief right now for her. Like, just a minute of it, because he's gone. Just just for a second. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that things get worse.
0: Yeah, they do. So, he she's like, you know, he's like, who is going to kill you? She says, Charles Starkweather. Now the deputy realized what's going on, and he radios that he has come upon Starkweather and needs a roadblock who by now has been labeled by the press and police as a madman. All he had was a pistol shooter. He's like, I've come across Starkweather and all I have is this pistol shooter. Like that's (laughs) what he said into the radio because, you know, they, like the press has really blown him up to be this monster. Yeah, with all these guns. Romer followed Starkweather for about a mile before radioing that he was going to go back to the crime scene where he stayed with Carol Ann. Colonel Stan Warren heard Romer's call for help, and had already arrived on the crime scene by the time Romer returned. He noted that there was a very frightened little girl sobbing in the backseat of Romer's car and wondered how the hell she could have been involved in such havoc. He noted that her eyes looked like they'd been crying for days. She was sobbing incoherently. He thought he heard her say Starkweather was going to kill her little brother, but he was really confused by this because he's like, the papers didn't mention a little brother. The police officers identified the victim from the Buick as Merle Collison. He was a traveling salesman who had pulled over to take a nap that ended his life. The man who had wrestled the gun from Starkweather was a burly fellow named Joel Sprinkle.
1: Props to Joel Sprinkle. Joe Sprinkle. Oh, <laughs> I added a no. Props to Joe Sprinkle. Thank
0: you. Yep, so I love that. And you said Mad, he was a
1: good-sized guy, right? Yeah, but I love that Mad
0: Dog was taken down by but a jo- man
1: named Joe. Joe Sprinkle, I do too. A I burly fellow. He was probably like this little pipsqueak's For gonna sure.
0: point a gun at me. Not well, today. And at the time, he didn't know that he was wrestling with Charles Starkweather. Oh, so he was just like, oh hey, Pee Wee, you think you can point that gun yeah. at me?
1: Here we <laughs> I go, don't bitch. Think so, right. <laughs>
0: yep. So, at the time, if he had realized it was Starkweather, he might have been a little more fearful. But mm. good thing he didn't know because he handled his shit. And they actually noted when. They informed him who he'd been wrestling with. His face turned pretty white. Like, oh, shit.
1: Wow. Yeah. He probably realized, like, he really would have killed me. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. I would have been next. So Starkweather put up a a high-speed chase through Wyoming at about 115 miles per hour before deputies Earl Helfen and police chief Robert Ansel shot at his car and forced him to stop capturing him. Now, one of the bullets went through the back windshield and the glass from it cut him. He saw his own blood and panicked, thinking that he was going to bleed to death. Oh, so that's why he stopped. did he now? And one of the police officers was like, that's the kind of yellow SOB he is. I will agree, sir. Like his own little cut. I mean, it couldn't have cut him that bad. Yep. I am so... I love it. I love that that is how limp dick oh goes down. Oh, my God, down. my blood. But, right, yeah. <laughs> Not only that, but a man
1: with the last name of Sprinkle... Out wrestles yes. you, yes, you big bad man. His power has been taken uh-huh. down. Thoroughly That's the part I like the most. Me too. Because he was loving all this power he was. and all of this, you know, hype about how what a monster he was. I'm sure he was loving it. And then he freaks and out at the sight blood. of his own blood. I mean, I do too. Right? But. It's not
0: fun. While being captured, he remarked, "Quote: If I had a gun, I'd have shot them." And well, quote. you didn't. Sorry. The 32-caliber pistol found in the car was out of bullets. Meanwhile, Carol Ann is hearing what's going on over the police car and begging the officers not to let him get away, or he will kill her family. She's Aww. saying this over and over again. Deputy Romer is like, "You can stop your crying now." He's captured. By the way, way to be real fucking sensitive. Yeah. Well, oh, you you're crying. But sp- you're crying. He's captured now. Stop crying, kid. Romer took Carol Ann to the sheriff's house because they didn't really have an appropriate place to put a 14-year-old. You know, like, yeah, they're probably like, what do we do with her? Yeah. So they go to the sheriff's house where his wife, Hazel Heflin, which I like that name for some reason, tried to calm her down. They laid her on the couch, telling her that she didn't need to shake and that she was safe. Then they call a doctor because she is terrified, inconsolable, traumatized beyond words. And that's the key word. She's traumatized. And this is 1958, and they don't know anything about trauma. Yeah, they don't. Nothing. So the doctor comes in and gives her tranquilizers because, you know, let's calm her down. Um, She kept, she did, when the doctor walked in, she was freaking out. She's like, don't let him near me. Please don't leave me alone. I don't want to be alone. She was meaning Starkweather, but she's like, nobody can make sense of anything that she's making, that she's saying because she's in such shock, such panic, such trauma. So they kept assuring her that he's going nowhere near you. You're, you're safe. So she cried for her mother. Why hasn't she called? Hazel, the sheriff's wife, was like, well, the phone lines are probably busy, sweetie. Okay? So while his wife is trying to console this girl and is calling the doctor and everything, the sheriff was searching her jacket. I should mention it took them a while to coax her out of her jacket and her shoes to, like, get her comfortable. Oh, yeah, she was probably on such high alert. Well, she kept saying that she wanted to be ready for when her mom came and got her.
1: My heart is hurting physically.
0: Yep, so the sheriff does find the note that was in her pocket that she had wrote. Okay, Okay. that note she was
1: hoping to get out there to somebody. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep, so then he finds the note, and after she falls asleep, um, Mrs. Heflin tells her husband, I don't think she realizes her family is dead. She slept for 17 hours straight. Of course, it was with the help of tranquilizers and trauma, but she, she slept. And she woke up to the kind words and the kind face of Mrs. Heflin, who didn't leave her side all night knowing that she was scared to be Aww. alone. Mm-hmm. Lo- love me some hazel. They um, needed to coax her into getting a bath. It's been a long time since she's had a bath. She needs a bath. Yeah. She did not want to because she kept saying she needed to be ready when her mom got there. Then they gave her. They kept giving her tranquilizers to calm her down. Okay. So Rahmer, in the meantime, is talking to the press, telling them that although Carol is mostly confused and incoherent, he was able to piece together the situation, that Starkweather and his gang were going to rob a bank and that he paid Mr. Meyer $500 to use his house as a hideout, which was not correct. No. What she had been telling him was that he killed August Mayer over $500 that he knew the man had and then tried to use his house as a hideout. But, you know, not to worry. Deputy Romer's on the case. Well, that's how things get distorted. exactly. And she's incoherent. Then she's being drugged. So on January 31st, the uh, Laramie Boomerang newspaper quoted Romer saying that Carol Ann said, quote, she kept saying, I've seen nine people killed. My mother and my father and my sister are dead, end quote. Carol Ann never said that. We went from January 29th to being quoted in the newspaper saying that, he's you know he's crazy he's going to kill my family to now january 31st romer is being quoted saying she kept saying i've seen nine people killed my mother and my father and my sister are dead she didn't know her family was dead so no she didn't say that
1: interesting mm-hmm.
0: i'm just putting some laying some breadcrumbs for him you him
1: distorting things or is this the media taking things he said twisting them and putting them out in their own versions, or both?
0: That's a great question, but I will tell you what he testifies to, and you can make your own determination. Okay. In reality, Carol Ann was telling him that he had killed people and that she's afraid that he's going to kill her mom, dad, and sister. Another newspaper also reported on the 31st that Starkweather admitted to 11 slayings, claiming he always wanted to be an outlaw but didn't mean for it to get this big. They noted the coolness in his tone. Lincoln, Nebraska was outraged at the police department that it had taken so many days to capture a deranged killer, that there was so much hostility in fact that a special investigation was conducted by former FBI agent Harold Robinson— who soon exonerated the local Lincoln police for doing an exemplary job from the moment on January twenty seventh when the Bartlett family was found. Which I will say their police department did I mean, as much as they didn't pry into the lives of the Bartlett's when the Bartlett's family were saying there's something wrong at uh-huh. this house, but at the same time put yourself in their position. There's no outward there's no obvious signs of blood, of, of murder. They never could have predicted that the whole Bartlett family was dead. Yeah. But from the moment that they found them, they did what they needed to do to protect. They got the the information out there, told people to stay in their homes. Um, so I can see why the FBI, former FBI agent was like, listen, you guys, once you learned of the murders, you did a good job mm-hmm. handling that part. It wasn't that long afterwards that the two... Were, you know, well, that Starkweather, really, because of his stupidity, got caught. Yeah, yeah. But so the community of Lincoln knew that the only way that they were going to get justice for the victims was in a court of law. Because, you know, the police department's not going to be held accountable because they were just a clear. So later on the night of January 30th, Carol was woken by police for questioning. There was a telegram that Barb had sent just saying, tell them everything you knew. No, they were using words like testimony and witness and court of law. Words a 14-year-old knows nothing of. Oh, yeah. They kept jabbering at her about things she didn't understand, then gave her a piece of paper and told her to sign her name to it, and as soon as they did, they would take her home. End quote. I don't like the sounds of this. Right. Remember, she's in Wyoming, not Nebraska right now, so there's different court jurisdictions, too, and things get convoluted because of that. Carol Ann asks, Is my family dead? Are they dead? If I sign this paper, how long until I can get back to see my family? They said... As soon as you sign this paper, you can leave right now. So she signs the paper. So they
1: don't. There's nobody is telling her about the family yet. No. Oh my gosh. So the early morning
0: of January 31st, she arrives in Garing, Nebraska, with lights from the f- press flashing in her face. She was taken inside the jail. The police deputy who put her in the cell told her that she was sorry about her family. She asks why, and the police deputy responds with. Don't you know that they're all dead? She didn't believe it. She screamed and cussed. You're all crazy. How could my family be dead when I did everything Starkweather told me to do? You're dirty liars. She just screamed over and over again. Doctor, a doctor had to come and put a needle in her arm to help oh her my go to gosh. sleep.
1: The that's next, how she finds out. That's
0: how she found out. The next day, she was taken again to a jail in Lincoln. So they. Took her, you know, take her to another jail, but it's in Lincoln. And this time she had asked who had killed her family, and they seemed perplexed by that question. She didn't know that Starkweather had killed her family because she still thought that her family was being held hostage by a gang. Yeah, yeah. And no one's putting this story together from what her, she's like, you know, they thinking they were found in a where in this old lady's garage where they were being kept. When Starkweather was extradited back to Lincoln, he confessed to, to the killing of Robert Culver at the gas station and told of him um, concealing his face during the robbery and painting his truck afterwards. Carol was taken to see the judge. He, the judge said, what are we going to do with you, young lady? She had no idea why he needed to do anything with her. Like, I don't know, release me so I can go to what family I have left? Right. Well... They end up putting her in a mental institution because they aren't going to put a 14-year-old in jail that they don't know what to do with. So they put her in a mental hospital because she's traumatized and, and incoherent and no one is coming to her aid to help her. No one's offering her a lawyer. No one is helping her at all.
1: They just assume that she's guilty of something and so they stick her in a the They're mental. just like, what
0: are we going to do with you? Okay, a mental, mental institution it is where they strip her naked even though she protested because remember she had been violated by Starkweather oh and then gosh. they shaved her, her underarms for her. That is how innocent this what? little girl is. She hasn't even started shaving. They lifted up her underarms and were like, oh, you don't shave? So they shaved her. I can't... She was scared at this institution asking to see her mother and sisters. No one would answer her question or do anything like more than talk to her. She still doesn't want to believe that her mom is dead. She's still, she, I mean, remember she was calling the, the officers dirty liars.
1: Yeah. So. This poor and child. Her, and oh her sister gosh.
0: hasn't, you know, been able to come see her yet. So now it's February 1st. She woke up to a large commotion in the hallway, and she realizes that the person across the room from her is getting electric shock therapy. Imagine a fourteen-year-old oh, seeing that oh. on
1: top of everything else that she has seen. I feel like now that she's in here, it's like she has no voice. Like, oh, she doesn't. She's lost. Not at all. No. They're
0: not talk She is. They're not talking to her. They're not telling her anything. They're giving her drugs to make her yeah. sleep when they want her to sleep. She's oh, yeah. has now been lost. Yep. There's no, oh my gosh. She's not allowed to talk to the other patients. She's taken to um, eat to a table to eat breakfast and lunch and dinner by herself. Um, she is still trying to figure out why the hell she's in a hospital at all. She's super confused. She's not sick. She doesn't know what a mental institution really is. All she knows is that she watches this lady across the hall get electroshock therapy, but doesn't know why. You guys, she is... 14 years old. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, and has just been through like the most horrific trauma.
0: Absolutely. More than any of us could ever imagine.
1: No, nobody's talking to her, telling her anything. Mm -mm.
0: She's in a hospital and she's trying to figure out why. Mm -hmm. And finally, after seeing some of the other patients and how they're like acting, even though she can't talk to them, she realizes, I think I'm in a mental institution and she believes it's because she keeps hearing voices telling her that her mother's dead she's not even she's so so she's hallucinating yes yes because she doesn't want to believe that her mom's dead and remember they keep giving her tranquilizers oh she's having emotions very confused
1: tranquilizer Mm -hmm.
0: yeah exactly oh my
1: goodness it's
0: just what we did to women back then Mm -hmm. you're having a period and getting emotional because of it tranquilizer in uh, one of the attorneys like the the state prosecutor Comes in and talks to her alone, with no parent, no guardian, and no legal representation present. She told her side of the story, and the prosecution, uh, um, prosecutor, state prosecutor attorney, is saying, "Are you sure that it happened this way and didn't happen that way?"
1: Mm, excuse me, sir.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Carol was a fourteen-year-old girl and was afraid to correct or go against an adult, so she. And this is happening in the mental institute.
1: So So she's
0: answering yes until he was pleased because she was terrified that she was going to get the electric shock therapy that the person across the hall had been getting. She didn't know what circumstances made that person get that treatment. Mm -hmm. She didn't know she was talking to an attorney. It's just an adult coming and asking her questions and coaxing the conversation to be what he Uh wanted it to be. So the county prosecutor came and questioned her and told her about that Starkweather was telling a totally different story and asked her which story is the truth. Are you sure that it didn't happen this way? And Carol said, no, it, it did happen the way that I told you that it happened. He mentioned sexual relations between the two. Carol was very embarrassed. This is a male adult saying really provocative things mm-hmm. that Starkweather and his grotesque mind had it, camp, came up with to a 14 year old innocent girl. She was mortified. She decides to tell him that he had like what, you know, the story of what he had tried to do that he was rubbing, had taken her clothes off, was rubbing his penis on her, flipped her over, rubbed it on her butt cheeks, then got angry. And he, the prosecutor insisted, no. What she was talking about was sex and that he even put it in her mouth.
1: Oh, my gosh. So he's telling her, like, what no, happened. this is what happened. He, exactly. Wow. Carol called him
0: a fil- filthy man and said she never wanted to speak to him again and that he could go straight to hell. Right on, Carol. Right. He continued to question about the murders. He he just keeps going from the murders to their relationship and their sexual relationship, just back and forth and back and forth, just pounding This poor girl's mind, Mm -hmm. you know, with this stuff. He questioned her for hours. She was exhausted and finally said, you all seem to know more about this than I do. You tell me. She's just exhausted with all of this. Yeah. So on February 2nd, she was asked if she might like to see Starkweather because he's been asking about her every time that they meet, that the police meet with him. She said no. She's scared to death of him. She doesn't ever want to see him again.
1: Yeah. Why would they even... Put that out there. This is why.
0: Sheriff Cornop, who's the sheriff in Lincoln, says, well, he might not believe me when I tell him. Why don't you write him a note and I'll give it to him the next time? The sheriff is going to pass a note. Pardon me, sheriff. Uh So she wrote a note, quote, Charlie, I don't want to see you. I'm afraid of what I might do, end quote. The sheriff smiled at her and thanked her. Okay, and just so you guys know, if you're not in the, the same field that I am, when you're interviewing a child for an investigation, you don't ever thank them for anything that they have given you because now you've made the child believe that they are pleasing you and their information should always be truthful and not for the purpose of pleasing an adult. She was finally able to visit with Barbara and asked her if it was true that her family was all dead. She told her Barbara was like, yes, that happened. Yes, it was stark weather that did it. Oh. She said, I don't know how he did it. I don't know the details. She knows that everyone else was telling the truth all along because she knows her sister is not going to lie to her. Her and Barbara are very close.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: She said that she wished she wished that he had killed her too so she could be with her mother. Aww. I totally understand that way of thinking. I now,
1: can't even wrap my brain around what this poor girl is, has gone through. Well, and it just keeps getting getting
0: worse. One of the question, the the interrogations by Sheriff uh, Cornop started at 8 p.m. with the presence of a doctor and a court reporter. Again, this is when she's numb, in shock, and grieving. And then they they keep happening each day. They are questioning her for sometimes upwards of 13 hours during the day they're interrogating her. And
1: with no one there to... No one there.
0: No adult there. for her. No or... lawyer there. Mm-mm. And each time, questioning and re-victimizing her. So by several days, she knows the routine and found herself filling in the gaps that she had learned from the previous interrogations. Originally with the teenagers, the two teenagers, Carol King and um, Robert Jensen, she did not know she was in the car the whole time. So her original statement is, yeah, I was, you know, I was in the car. I have no idea that they were taken down into the cellar and that's mm-hmm. where they were found. Well, she finds out throughout the investigations, they feed her this information. So then, by, by yet again, another integra- interrogation, she's like, yeah, they were down in the cellar. Oh, my. Not okay. because she
1: saw them. But because they told but because her. Because they told
0: her. So she's like, oh, I got to tell these dumbass adults this information again. Yep, they went down into the cellar. So then they're like, so you So you, you know. No. You know they were yep. in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Mm. We've talked about this before, about investigators providing details that were not previously brought up by the person making the statement. And that is 100% what happens to Carol Ann Fugate. She did tell the truth. She did say, yes, I held the gun on the maid. Yes, I took the money out of the teen's wallet, Robert Jensen's wallet, and put it in Starkweather's wallet. Yes, I held the flashlight on Starkweather weather while he was tying up and stabbing the maid. She did sprinkle perfume, as she was told to, in the house. She watched TV in the house when she was being held hostage. Mm-hmm. She even read a comic book. Yes, she laughed at the comic book. There, That's how much they're asking her questions about, you know, her daily, like, thing and trying to pull it. You were enjoying yourself because you read that comic book and laughed. Keep in mind, she doesn't know her family's dead. Mm-hmm. When she was, for that week that she was held up in her house... She didn't know. No one was dead to her. Mm -hmm. And yes, um, there were times that she, and she admitted this. Yes, there were times that I could have gotten away, but I didn't. Because I thought that he had my family and that if I tried to run, he was going to kill my family. Yeah, because
1: he made it sound like they were being, you know, held in one word and they'd be gone.
0: She literally gets to a point where they're firing questions at her and she's answering yes to everything. Just everything. Right down to did you answer everything correctly? Yes. Have you been treated fairly? Yes. Are you tired? Yes. Do you want this interview to stop? Yes. I haven't promised you anything or threatened you in, or any or threatened you with anything. Yes.
1: Were any of these recorded? Yes. Oh, they were.
0: Yeah. You understand that this can be used against you? Yes. This interview ended at 10:50 p.m. She had been interrogated that day alone on and off for over 13 hours. Oh, my gosh. Carol did not understand that she had a right to a lawyer because so many adults had just been talking at and around her. Her biological father, William, had visited her and did not discuss a lawyer with her. It was not until Monday, February 3rd, when she was being interrogated again, shortly after noon, when they started talking to her about if she should plead guilty or not, and the conversation comes up that she wants a lawyer. Though that conversation, through that conversation, you can clearly see that she did not understand that, that all along since January 30th that she had a right to a lawyer.
1: Wow. Because nobody really fully explained what that meant. Not at all. To her. She's 14. Plus,
0: she's 14 and she has no idea that they're about to turn her into a perpetrator. Yeah. She is a victim this whole time, so she believes that they're seeing her as a victim. Yes. That they're And she's answering the questions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So she has no idea that she needs a lawyer. Also, this stuff is in the book as well. She was made to believe in the beginning that she could only have a lawyer if her family could afford to hire a lawyer.
1: Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm.
0: Finally, she comes to the conclusion that she should have one even though the interrogators are telling her that she denied getting one all the way back in Wyoming. They're like, no, you denied your right to a lawyer all the way back in Wyoming.
1: She's like, I did what? Right.
0: I'm 14. I have no yeah. idea these words, these huge words that you're throwing at me. As I said, they're using words like testimony and um a court of law like all this stuff that she's
1: I barely understand them and I worked in the court for you know years and she's 14 in the 50s
0: it's not like they had TV where SUV is is on and you know kids are now really
1: educated on these things when you throw that lingo at the average person Mm -hmm. that's not in the system at all they don't know what it means not at all they're confused Mm -hmm. like what what form what law I don't know exactly and then a teenager
0: yep That just has been through all that trauma. Yeah. And then finds out that her whole family is
1: dead. And now you want to keep talking to her too? And the whole time, like you said, not thinking that she's being pinned as a- Perpetrator. A perpetrator. Right, right. She's like, I'm answering these questions so they can bring him down. Exactly. So they
0: can prevent me from ever having to come into contact with this man again. Mm -hmm. And get him for, hold him responsible for killing my family. So finally, she's like, yes, I I want a lawyer, and the interviews now stop. Wouldn't you know it? It took them, I'm going to take you through the trial of Charles Starkweather. I'm not going to go over all the details because he would just love to be more, you know, put into more power here. But And you can get it in the books and all of this stuff. But basically, well, this is what happens. On February 3rd, Starkweather and Carol Ann are both charged with premeditated murder. And commission of a robbery of Robert Jensen, each plead not guilty. So that happened on February third. It wasn't until February third that she figured out she needed a lawyer.
1: So she had already they pled guilty. Already, no,
0: they pled not guilty. Oh, not guilty. But they, okay, but they had already put in a, a. Yeah, it wasn't until they're like, "So how are you going to plead to this?" That she's like, "Wait, wait, what? what me?
1: Uh, yeah,
0: wait. Okay, that's how she figures out she needs a lawyer." On March tenth, Judge Henry Spencer. Appointed attorneys Clement Gaudin and William Metgelant. I don't. I don't know how to say the fucker's name. William. <laughs> anyway, to represent Starkweather. Starkweather told by this time he had told nine different versions of his killing spree, and in those nine different versions, Carol's innocence or um, complicity in them all changed mm-hmm. in every version. The book details each and every one, but they started on January 28th with one version. Then on the 29th, he wrote three different versions, one of which was to his parents that he claimed that Carol had helped him a lot but had nothing to do with the killing. All we wanted to do was get out of town. Then another version on January 31st. Then another version on February 1st where he claimed Carol did killings of her
1: own. Oh, my goodness.
0: But that version didn't come out until after he received the letter that the sheriff had encouraged her to write, breaking up with him. It would appear as though the police and the prosecutor used this letter to turn Starkweather against Carol, and he did so with a vengeance from that point forward.
1: Wow. So, was that the intention to
0: get? 100%. That was the intention of that letter that was illegally taken from one prisoner to another.
1: I smell feces because this is really, really shitty. Oh, we're deep.
0: Get your waiters on, sister. Because we're deep in the shit.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, That's such a dirty move.
0: The versions prior to February 1st, he openly takes accountability for all of the murders and says Carol Ann had nothing to do with them. With the exception of all the things she admitted to. Yes, I took money out of his wallet. Yes, I held a gun on the maid. Yes, I held a flashlight for him. I sprinkled the perfume. Yes, I did not run if I was, you know, left alone. Out of fear, Mm -hmm. people. Out of fear. I ask every person who wants to say that that there were times that Carol could get away. Have you ever been held at gunpoint? Or mm-hmm. if you try to get away, you might not survive. Until you have been in that position, you cannot judge someone. Because you know what my thinking is? Then why didn't the lady of the house and the maid... Get away. If it's so easy to get away from a madman on a killing spree or someone holding you hostage, Mm -hmm. then why don't people do it all the time? How the hell could we have a podcast? Because if it's so easy to get away from a perpetrator, why haven't all of our victims that we've covered been able to do it? Mm-hmm. Because it's not,
1: and it sounds like she got to that breaking point of like, all right, I can't. do it anymore. She and absolutely she,
0: did, and that is what is like. If I die, I die. Yep, exactly. Because this is no way to live. Mm-hmm. I can't live, you know, like this. So, I'm I'm either going to get away or I'm going to die. Try. Yeah, and to the be police faced are, with that too. And the police are here now, so they're going to stop him. So my family can live. Mm-hmm. The author does a good job of pointing out how absolutely illegal it is for anyone to sneak mail between inmates without it being read by lawyers first. Like you can't, a sheriff cannot take a letter from one person and sneak it in. There's a whole process that has to happen Mm -hmm. for mail to make it to an inmate. And he snuck that letter from Carol Ann into Charles to Charles Starkweather breaking up with him.
1: Yeah, and just the. The act of those two being able to talk to communicate in any way after what happened is so inappropriate. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
0: Problem is, is that up to this point, they can't get Starkweather to turn on Carol. They think they're convinced that Carol has something to do with this. They want her too. So they're going to do what they're going to do. Version seven of his confession came on February 27th, where he is now claiming that Carol Ann helped kill her entire family. He claimed that Velda accused him of getting Carol Ann pregnant and that they got into a big fight. He and Marion ended up in a fist fight, and he killed him out of self-defense. Then Velda threatened him with a knife that chop—that she was going to chop his head off, so Carol Ann took the twenty-two from Starkweather and turned it on her mom, saying that she was going to blow her to hell. Velda took Carol Ann to the floor, so Starkweather grabbed the gun and shot her. To save Carol Ann. Then he hit Betty Jean with it because she was screaming, and Carol Ann told told him to shut her up, so then he stabbed her in the neck. Then Marion was still moving, so he stabbed him until he stopped moving. Carol Ann asked him what they were going to do with them. He asked what they should do, and she just went into the living room to watch TV. Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. So let me guess when they got the confession that they wanted... Well, that was February 27th. There there was nine, right?
0: Yep. Version eight comes on March 28th, where he is now claiming that Carol Ann killed the teen girl victim, Carol King, and that they both shot Merle Collison, the salesman, together. Then version 9 comes on April 9th, 1958, when he claims that he will be convicted for what he's done. And that's okay, but I'll be damned if I'll be sentenced for what I didn't do. And he claimed that Carol was the most trigger-happy person he had ever seen. Now, fun fact, his brother, Rodney, recalled that Starkweather was trigger-happy and told him that. Called him Trigger Happy. Remember mm. the the rampant shooting in the... Yeah. Uh, his trial began on May 5th, 1958, and he loved every bit of the attention, like a movie star smiling for the cameras. Just the total douchebaggery.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That we
0: see time and time again. There was a lot of fanfare for the Mad Dog Killer, and he even testified for himself, claiming that the ones he did kill were all in self-defense.
1: Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm.
0: In his testimony, he implicated Carol Ann for the murders and claimed that none of it was premeditated because he's trying to get out of the death penalty. Mm -hmm. It was all, you know, nothing was premeditated. Doctors testified about his mental instability and that the murders mean no more to him than a stick. And this was actually for his defense, claiming that he was a wild animal and didn't have the ability to premeditate. Hmm. The different letter versions were all messed up through the witness testimony as well. Remember, this whole time, the reporters are gobbling up every detail and they're printing it. May 22nd, the trial came to a close and the jury deliberated for two hours and 45 minutes before ending for the day and coming back the next day, May 23rd. They started again at 9.07 a.m. and ended at 2.55 p.m. They took that long to deliberate Mm -hmm. over him. They came back with the verdict of guilty for first-degree murder of Robert Jensen, the only murder for which he was tried. Wow. What? Yep. He was sentenced to death.
1: Okay. All right. Which is
0: why he was only tried for the one murder, because he was up for the death penalty, and he got it.
1: Okay. So there was it kind of like a, well, we got what we were going for, like, and that's the worst of, of the worst, so. All
0: the convolution from his nine oh, different versions. Yeah. yeah. The press putting out different um, issues, you know, different things as well. This is what they could pin. They could pin him to Robert Jensen. So the other ones, it was just kind of through like the, a through the tornado evidence. of
1: crap mm-hmm. that they couldn't really sift through. This and- is
0: what they could get him on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, on May 27th, he was quoted in the United Press International as saying, quote, I will be glad to go to the chair if Carol will sit on my lap. End quote. And I have got to tell you something that I think is disgusting is that all the amazing leaders that we've had in this nation that have had wonderful, profound thoughts and quotes, this quote right here is something that a lot of people, when you mention Charles Starkweather's name, remember. Really? Yes. The the grotesque thought that he wants a 14 year old who he held hostage to sit on his lap while he's being electrocuted yeah. because he believes she should die, too. He's disgusting. So all of that happened before Carol's trial. And I think I have made it very clear of how much the press is covering mm-hmm. this. The whole time. saying, quoting, all, he's loving talking to the press. Oh, it, When yeah. he's talking about their sexual relationship, it's so exaggerated that he literally goes on to say that they had sex every single day and twice on Sundays.
1: Which is so horrible because they never actually did, right? No. Like they never actually had the act of sex. No, not according to Carol. And that he was very impotent. Mm -hmm. Like he couldn't physically have sex. So
0: her her recollection of the time that he tried and got angry, there it is. You know, I told you I'd present you with both sides of the story here. Mm -hmm. He's saying that
1: every day it was
0: rampant, but her entire family also can vouch for the fact that they were supervised at all times. Now, anything that happened after she took was held hostage, I'm going to call rape.
1: Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, for
0: sure. But she, you know, even then, she says that he, he attempted to while she was menstruating and he could not form an erection. So Carol even wrote President Eisenhower explaining her situation and asking for help. She got a response back that start, the Starkweather trial was entirely the state's matter. She wrote the president? She did. Oh. In October 1958, preparations for her trial began, and this whole time on death row, because remember he's sentenced to death row now, Starkweather is claiming that he is not impotent and that they've fucked all the time, and twice on Sundays, like I said Oh, I'm said sure earlier. he's trying to cover that up. The press are eating it all up. They love this story. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that they're just salivating yep. over it. By the time the trial starts, this the state sees her as a murderous whore who is just as bad as Mad Dog. Carol's attorney was John MacArthur. He received hate mail for re- representing such a horrible little girl. And I will say John MacArthur works his butt off. He does the damn thing to help, try to help Carol. Oh, good. He is on the right side of this um, where he should be in terms mm-hmm. of representing his client at all times. And then actually his um, son ends up carrying on later, as we will see, to help her as well. At this point in time, I think it's pretty obvious that there's no way that she's going to get a fair trial. As a matter of fact, one juror should have been disqualified because one week before the jury selection was made for Carol's case, H.A. Walenta made a bet that she would get the death penalty, and then he was selected as one of the jurors. And this information was not discovered, until after her trial, and a motion for mistrial was filed by her lawyer and denied by Judge Harry Spencer, who was also the judge in Starkweather's trial.
1: Oh, wow.
0: It is not appropriate for both for the same judge to hear both no, cases.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: The juror, H.A. Walenta, was sworn in as a juror as part of the protocol that he had no preconceived opinion or knowledge of Carol Ann's guilt or innocence. That is part of the swearing-in process. But he had placed that bet that she's going to get the electric chair.
1: This is all just so unbelievable. Yep.
0: She was tried as, as an adult at the age of 14 on October 17, 1958. It was heavily covered like the Starkweather uh, trial. She was being tried for the murder of Robert Jensen. She was not charged with the murder of Carol King, even though Starkweather claimed Carol killed her. I will give you one of the best quotes from the lawyer, and it's in, also found in the 13th Victim book. Quote, If people knew the truth, they would realize that Carol Fugate was no criminal. She was Starkweather's victim, as were all the other victims of Starkweather's madness. Must we condemn Carol for failing to do what no one else in Nebraska could do? Stop Starkweather? She was no accomplice, she was a captive, end quote. And I just love that when he's like, hey, Nebraska, you couldn't stop him from killing 11 people. Mm-hmm. So how was this 14-year-old girl supposed yeah, to? Yeah,
1: what was she supposed to do with her family? Yep. You know, she had no idea what had happened to her family.
0: Yep. The prosecution brought in family members of the victims to testify about what? Basically just about who the victim was as a person. It had nothing to do with the trial. And Carol King's family was allowed to testify, even though she was not charged with Carol King's wow. murder. But they're sitting there, the family testifying, the grieving family is
1: testifying to what kind of a person Carol King oh my was. Gosh. So she's have to, having to relive her trauma and now, yes. you know, putting more of a personal, you know. Right. But f- what. What not, is that the the, not that those victims don't deserve that, but it's of like, course. you know, with this person that, but also, didn't commit the murder. But what's the
0: relevance? <laughs> right? Why are the families testifying about how amazing their loved one was? What? Why is that being allowed? Furthermore, photos from the crime scene of Carol King were shown to the jury. She's not on trial for the murder of Carol King and one of those photos showed Carol's vagina cut from vagina through her her anal cavity. Oh wow. They showed that to the jurors for during a murder trial of Robert Jensen, her boyfriend. Now, as a juror, you see that and you're being told that this girl had something to do with that. Mm-hmm. Why was that ever allowed that evidence never should have been allowed and of course remember there are press in the the media are in the they had to do a lottery i don't know if you know when there's big cases covered there's only so much room in the courtroom so they do a lottery drawing drawing for what press apply for it to be that actually like win the lottery to be in the um, courtroom Um, and cover the story okay so the the people who are from the media in the courtroom are reporting about all this writing all kinds of headlines about this stuff that has nothing to do it she's on trial for the murder of robert jensen not carol king but that stuff was allowed now i will say her lawyer did try to object each and every time and it was overturned by the judge by judge spencer Each time it was overruled. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Sounds like he's already got kind of his mind made Uh, up. Yeah,
0: absolutely. he's shady as fuck. Definitely. Um, Deputy Romer testified for the prosecution and his story was not only totally different from what happened, but also completely different from what he was quoted in the newspapers as saying as well. This time it was that she ran to him and said, I saw him kill 10 people. I watched him kill my mom, dad, and sister. So now it's char- It's changed from I think he might have killed nine people to I watched him kill ten people, including my mom, dad, and sister. And, and I just wanted to go through like this quick little court transcript so that you can get a glimpse here. This is of Deputy Romer on the stand. And this is the um, defense. It was pretty much in the news there for a period of time, meaning in Wyoming, because remember, Deputy Romer is from Wyoming, Mm -hmm. where he was caught. Was it not? Romer says, no, sir, it was not. So the lawyer says, well, how'd you hear it then? Romer says, I read it in the newspaper that morning. He said, so the lawyer says, well, there was a rather detailed account of a trail of violence, wasn't there? Romer says, no, sir, there was not. There was a little title under a picture. The lawyer says, that was all you knew about it? Rahmer says, yes, sir. What day was that? January 29th. However, the attorney had already shown the court that the Wyoming papers had been following and detailing the case the days prior. So things like this continued to happen where there's discrepancies and irregularities by all the witnesses, including getting it out that the lawyers, that there were lawyers were not present for many of Carol Ann's interrogations. The defense did do a good job at poking holes in this entire situation. She was able to, but, I mean, it just didn't matter, you know. And I don't want to take all the meat and potatoes from the authors of these two books either, Mm -hmm. so you can... If you want to read all the nitty-gritty about the trial, you know, get those books, but I'm just kind of giving you the gist here. She was able to testify for herself. Her defense was that the entire time she did not know her family was murdered and that she was a hostage of Starkweather and that she did anything he told her to in order to keep her family alive. The jury saw her as cold and unremorseful. What we now know, though, that was not known then or accepted at the time is a condition called post-traumatic stress disorder. This condition makes it hard for the body to connect affect with information. So when they are calculating her reactions and responses to questions and answers that she was given, it was very unfair to judge her about that. Because from the beginning of coming home and having a gun pointed to her face... To the point where she's testifying in this trial, I would argue that not only was she a victim of Starkweather, but she was a victim of the court system as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And she was being re-traumatized that entire oh, time. gosh. I, the level of re-traumatizing yep. her is off the charts.
0: Carol was later diagnosed and suffering from severe PTSD. And the psychiatrist even looked back on the trial recordings and evaluated her at the time and said, had the information about post-traumatic stress disorder been known back then, when things when things were happening, mm-hmm. things would have went a lot different for Carol. The prosecution also had Starkweather testify at her trial against her. Let what? me let me say that again. I'm sorry. What a man who was already established in a court of law as a liar and sentenced to death because he was a murderer was allowed to testify against her claiming that she was present for the murder of her family and killed Jensen and uh, Robert Jensen and Carol King and was a willing participant.
1: This guy, I can't I can't with him.
0: On November 21st at 10:01 a.m. the jury went into deliberation. She was taken into solitary confinement at a state hospital. The jury came back that same day. They took less time to deliberate for her than they did for Starkweather. The jury found Carol Ann Fugate guilty on all charges. First degree murder of Robert Jensen and first degree murder in the perpetration of a robbery. She was sentenced to life in prison.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So Carol is angry and she looks at the jury and says, if you really thought I was guilty, then why didn't you give me the chair? Someday, you'll find out that you made a mistake. They had the option to give her the chair at the time in Nebraska because she was tried as an adult. She's also the youngest member at the time in Nebraska to be tried as Mm -hmm. an adult. But they settled on life instead. The reason for this was later learned in 1974 when the book Carol was released and jurors were interviewed. They reported that they knew at the time in Nebraska, life did not really mean life in prison and that she would eventually be released. Her age impacted their decision, too, and they didn't think that she should be sentenced to death. They admitted that they knew going into deliberations that they wanted life instead of capital punishment because that would mean that she would be free, and that set their conscience conscience straight.
1: What? So they, they somehow didn't feel she was that fully guilty if Correct. they were like, well, we want her to be free someday. Correct. She's going to go to prison for a while.
0: Yep. Exactly. That's 100% exactly what I'm saying. They never considered the issue of whether or not she was actually a hostage of Starkweather due to the trial by media and the testimony of a known and convicted murderer.
1: I just She was convicted solely on his testimony. Uh-huh. That changed how many times? Nine.
0: Nine times. Here are some of the discrepancies and things that weren't taken into, into consideration at her trial, just so it's all very clear. The way she was handled from the start, being a 14-year-old victim but treated like a perpetrator, she ran toward the police while Starkweather ran away. Okay, Starkweather fled.
1: Yeah. She
0: ran to them. That was never taken into consideration. The note that was in her coat pocket that was found by the Wyoming sheriff, who took her to his own home and had his wife look after her, he testified to finding the note. Yet the note suddenly disappeared by the time it was transferred to Lincoln, Nebraska police. The prosecution claimed to have never got it in their records, and it was never given to the defense either. Imagine that.
1: Wow, that is unbelievable.
0: Carol had started to write a letter to her mother when she was in that mental hospital and didn't really know where the hell she was. It was found in her bedside drawer. The letter was never allowed into evidence, and it proved that she believed her family to still be alive. The authors of the book, The Twelfth Victim, were only able to retain a copy of the letter after many Freedom of Information Act requests. So that letter does exist. Mm -hmm. Her interrogation without counsel, uh, counsel that went on for many, many hours after she had been given sedatives to calm down she was interrogated over a period of five days before she was finally given counsel and she was made to believe that she could only get one if her family could hire one. The sheriff's wife saying, I don't think she knows her family is dead, was never taken into consideration for her trial either. The evidence that was permitted at Carol's trial but did not pertain to the crime the crime that she was accused of, no one took that into consideration. Or the fact that a convicted murderer was allowed to testify. Why was that ever allowed? Later, Carol's attorney received written statements from other inmates confirming what he has suspected that the prosecution had coaxed Starkweather on exactly what to say during Carol's trial. Also, not okay. Almost immediately after Starkweather was caught, he told the police Carol had nothing to do with the murders. He even wrote his parents Don't hate her, she had not a thing to do with the killing. But after being given the note that the sheriff had Carol right, his entire story changed mm-hmm. and then escalated after each meeting with his lawyers. How about the lack of forensic evidence like blood splatter to confirm Starkweather's accounts of how Carol's family died and her witnessing it? He claimed that she was there and a willing participant and that it happened at the house? Where are yeah, the bullet holes in yeah, the house? there was
1: nothing found at the, the house. Where's the blood
0: splatter? Where's the evidence of a crime scene being cleaned
1: up? Wow, this this was so sloppy. Mm -hmm.
0: There is the question of whether or not the judge should have been allowed to hear both cases. Yeah, for sure. Then, the fact that she never should have been tried in Lincoln. The whole town was scared shitless when the murder spree was happening. It was terrifying for all the residents. It was all over the media. Do you think that she was going to get a fair trial when from the beginning... The media painted her as a willing participant? Mm-hmm. Of course not. I do want to note that there were levels of support that were sent to Carol when she was in prison that were never given to her when she was on trial. She did not know about them. There's actually a story in the book that she didn't find know about them until they were like sold at a garage sale and somebody reached
1: out to her. Oh like, my god! Yeah, it's really crazy. So nobody ever actually gave her those letters through all no. of that?
0: Nope. Her lonely time in prison might have been a little bit better if she had known that not everyone was against her because she had to be in solitary confinement under Nebraska law until she was 16.
1: Oh, my god! She was
0: not allowed to talk or eat with anyone until she was 16 years old.
1: Wow. This makes me question humanity right now. <sighs> yep. All of this. Carol had also passed multiple polygraph tests. Just two. Another little notable
0: thing. So, oh my goodness. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take you to June 25th, 1959. We're in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's 12:04 a.m. Seventeen months after his convic- conviction, Charles Starkweather was executed by the electric chair.
1: Oh wow, they didn't waste a lot of time with they this one. Did not. I do encourage you to
0: read the 12th Victim because they go into detail about execution of an electric chair, and I did cry. I, even though he's a horrible man and I'm not sad that he's not with us, but the thought of the, the people that have to strap him oh, into yeah, that I chair and the things that are involved are, uh, you're not human if it doesn't tug at you a yeah, little bit. Yeah, um, When Carol learned of his execution, that it had been carried out, she felt defeated because he was the only person who could tell the truth and set her that free.
1: He, that she was innocent.
0: Yep. Starkweather gave no last words, but in a letter from prison to his parents, he wrote, Dad, I'm not real sorry for what I did, because for the first time, me and Carol have more fun. And I mean, have is, is an improper. I mean, I'm just quoting him directly. So. Yeah, yeah. I know it doesn't make sense, but, you know, it's That's him. It is what it is. Right. Following the execution, Starkweather was buried in the Wakaya Cemetery in Lincoln, as are five of his victims, including Mr. and Mrs. Carl Ward. Which I don't I, know how I, I feel like about that. that. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't either. Carol's life sentence was eventually overturned due to her age and law changes in Nebraska. She ended up serving a total of 17 and a half years before being released on parole for good behavior. Something to note on that good behavior. Carol Ann never had any fights or issues when in prison. She was a model prisoner. She taught people, other people about the Bible. Aww. She obeyed her probation, and she went on to live her life... With this on her record, without reoffending, making a good living for herself, she moved from Nebraska to Michigan, and she actually currently lives in our hometown. Wow. Her family is fiercely protective of her because many still believe that she's guilty. She has petitioned the state of Nebraska for a full pardon many times. Her most recent denial was just in 2020, and their reasoning is that the pardon does not prove one as being not guilty. It simply lifts the burden, the burdens caused by the conviction, and they just don't feel that she should be lifted from the burden. This July, she'll be 78 years old, and she's changed her name, tried to live a peaceful life out of the press with her husband and children.
1: I'm glad she went on to have those things. She
0: did. Um, Unfortunately, in 2013, her and her husband were in a terrible car accident, and her husband passed away.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And she spent, she was very critically injured. Wow, that sur- she survived. One of my friends who has actually met her. Oh, really? Yes, and he was telling me what a a really lovely woman she is.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. And, and
0: let us not forget that she lost her mother, her stepfather, and her baby sister in all of this. Yeah. On top of seventeen years, well, eighteen years of freedom,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then having to live. The rest of her life, with Hollywood making movies, painting them like they were so in love, a Bonnie and Clyde Mm -hmm. killing, believing that she was actively a part of these killings and not traumatized and victimized by them herself. And she
1: never had a voice in any of that the whole time.
0: Now, I will note the author of The Twelfth Victim used to have a radio show out in Nebraska. And he had the son of Carol's attorney as a guest on the show. Because remember how I had said his son actually carries on to help, Mm -hmm. uh, carried on to help Carol? Well, the son had just requested a full pardon from the state of Nebraska for her, and it was denied. This has happened many times. And so they were interviewing uh, her attorney and whatnot. Carol herself called in to the show. One of her very few times that she spoke and she told how one of the deputies was on TV just the week before saying that there was no way she didn't know her family was dead because the house looked like a slaughterhouse. And this is not true. So one of those deputies goes on to it was like a 2020 episode and says, oh, she knew her family was dead. Because the house looked like a slaughterhouse. So she called that radio show. And she's like, y'all need to know what a liar this guy is. That is so
1: horrible. Mm -hmm.
0: Because there were no bullet holes. There was no evidence. Nothing to show how Starkweather had claimed her family's murder took place. No blood. Remember, the local Lincoln police took Patsy into the home. And nothing was amiss aside from the barrel of the gun on the piano that none of them caught. None of them saw. Mm-hmm. Patsy herself contest- you know, testified that nothing was out of the ordinary in the house.
1: That, that is just, I mean, that's it's horrible that people took all of this and twisted it so much. Yep. The media.
0: There were also classmates that wanted to testify that they knew Carol had broken up with Starkweather and that she was trying to avoid him, but their parents, the parents of the children, didn't want them to get involved at the time with the court case. Because mm. these are 14-year-olds. mm mm-hmm. I do kind of get that. This is a huge case. There, their town lived in fear. Yeah, so they're like, "No, you're not getting involved in that." I, I in a, get it. Mm-hmm, I do. Yep. But it's sad for Carol. Mm-hmm. Just to to name a couple of things uh, that have been inspired by, um, "The Sadist," nineteen sixty three, "Bad Line," "Badlands," nineteen seventy three, "California" with a K, nineteen ninety three, "Natural Born Killers," nineteen ninety four. And Starkweather, 2004. There was a 1962 episode of a TV series, Naked City, called The Case Study of Two Savages. Yeah, you gotta love that name. The 1968 first season um, Robert Stack segment episode. The Bobby Curry story and The Name of the Game was also based on these events. Murder in the Heartland, 1993. Uh, Stark Raving Mad, also in 1983. The Peter Jackson film The Frighteners, 1996. September 2nd, 2010, season four of the ID series Deadly Woman covered the murder's dangerous liaisons. And Teenage Wasteland, the season four premiere episode, which aired December 6th, 2016, from the ID series A Crime to Remember, also covered their murder.
1: There's so many called of them.
0: The Fugate. The Starkweather Fugate murder spree. Wow. There's also been several songs that I won't go through all of them too that have been quote inspired by these two teenagers quote murder spree.
1: I, d- I had no idea how many things had been me neither. And it- influenced by this case, that is just unbelievable.
0: Can't imagine living with all that and
1: being like, well, here it comes again. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're I mean you did time for something that you didn't do and then you are free but still have all these reminders yep of something that you didn't
0: that you were get. a victim of. Yeah.
1: That's horrible. <sighs> what a what a tragic case.
0: But I think the reason that so many people are willing to condemn Carol is because they started with those news stories on January 28th of the murder of the Bennett family mm-hmm. and these two running off And it's hard to change your way of thinking. It's hard for humans to do that. that, Once we have set our mind on something, it's hard to see something else. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, the other part of that, too, is that that's what everybody was being told. Exactly. That these two killed the family and they fled. Yep. Nobody knew any differently. So right. you can't I can't really fault them. I mean right. I would have felt the same way. Right. But if that's what the media is telling you, that's what the coverage is, that these two are savages, they did this together, right. and then you have him saying that too. I mean Yep.
0: But you have him eventually saying that. And then you I mean, have just the yeah. fact just the power that the media had and what they picked and choose to report on and to bring to light, all of this stuff doesn't come to light until much later. Uh, about the different versions of his, um, conf- you know, con- mm-hmm. quote unquote, confession and all of these things. But her story never changes. It never wavers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's just heartbreaking all around. But that's why we try to do the best research that we can on this podcast so that we're not presenting the story in the wrong way. Hey, guys, you make your own de- determination. Hopefully this shed a
1: different light. For you?
0: Obviously, I wasn't there. I don't know. But there it is. There's there's the story.
1: It's very eye-opening. Yeah. Know.
0: But yeah. I, I do want to point out if she really was a serial killer and a murderer and not a victim, how is it that she's went on from being released from prison when she was 32 to live to 78 and never re re-offend never
1: reoffended anything?
0: That not is, even a speeding ticket.
1: That is a good point. For sure.
0: She even went on to be, um, she went into the medical field, but she was also a nanny for a very long time for a family.
1: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that she she did, I'm glad she was able to go on. Yep. You know, and- there's
0: that. And I do understand why her family is so fiercely protective of her, and especially last year in 2020 when, uh, you know, the, the story always resurfaces. Anytime that they petition for a full pardon for her, it always resurfaces. It resurfaces everything and the media. And so- yeah. Yeah. They're they're very protective of her that way, which I think is great. So anyway, all right. And and we probably could have reached out to her and asked, but I just there is no reason to Yeah. I feel like I could I could try to help get her um I trust that the sources that she chose, the few sources she chose to speak to and say her side of the story did a damn good job for her mm-hmm. that I could just read that and and then bring it to the world bring more shed more light on it mm-hmm. to the world yeah so there it job. is thanks okay ready for a brain bath i am brain, brain bath all right the title of this is bank robber hands teller a note with his name and address on it oh interesting sometimes when you need to write on the back of a paper it's important to see what that paper is so what was the notes well, like i have questions yeah Some bank robbers wear wigs. Others put on masks. This one, investigators say, apparently made little effort to conceal his identity. And there's a picture of him. He's just wearing his hat backwards. So it's like, yeah, when I flip this forwards, no one will ever know it's me. (laughs) Right. Michael Harrell, 54, was arrested in August after ordering a teller to hand over cash from a U.S. bank located in Cleveland. He used a note... That had his full name and address on it, and he slid it to the teller, telling the teller to hand over all the money.
1: (laughs) Didn't check the uh, didn't check the back of his
0: note, his scrap paper. Here's the thought: spring for some notepads, buddy. Yeah, this isn't the time to be using scrap paper.
1: Reasons I wouldn't ever rob a bank: because I would do something like that. Right? Yes, definitely.
0: The FBI, it would also have my date of birth on oh, it. Oh, for too. Yeah. So a picture of me. Probably. Yeah.
1: yeah. Something like that. Yeah.
0: It's my tax return. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm yeah. handing.
1: Rip a little piece of that return <laughs> off. Yep. Yeah.
0: The FBI says it reportedly was written on the back of a document from the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles. <laughs>
1: of course. Yeah, I probably don't need this. <laughs> this old thing. <laughs> The
0: teller referred to Harold by his name and gave him an unknown amount of money before calling 911. Like, here you go. I love that the Michael. the teller
1: used the first name. It's like, like here, here you go, go. Michael.
0: <laughs> yep. According to investigators, he was taken into custody a few days later. Unsurprisingly, an FBI agent at the time said, "When you present a note that has your name already on it and address, it helps law enforcement tremendously." <laughs> Made their job pretty easy. Right, right. Like, thank you. Because sometimes we are really, really busy. So this just speeds things up and we appreciate it. Oh
1: my gosh, that's amazing. Yep,
0: so there it is. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We hope you keep listening. And follow us on social media. If you have a case that you'd like us to cover or maybe you have like a funny brain bath of your own, email us or write us on Facebook. Uh, crime curious at yahoo.com otherwise we'll talk at we'll we'll tell you another story another time yeah, guys yeah all right Bye-bye. bye bye